Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast from Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this podcast, we examine the world through a grace perspective and connect biblical truth in everyday life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Exchange Podcast. We're glad that you are with us today. My name is Nolan Smith, the college and high school pastor here at Grace Church. Today, I'm joined once again by our senior pastor, Lance Bourgeois. Lance. Yeah, hey. Thanks for coming. Good to be back. Yeah. So today we are, we're getting into, um, we're getting into a pretty interesting topic. I think one that a lot of people are are thinking a lot about right now. Um, We're going to talk politics, but probably not in the sense that people might expect when they hear that word. So we're not going to get into the voting booth and and, uh, which side of the aisle you're on, but we are going to talk about um, political instability and how the the time that we are living in right now, we are seeing a lot of uncertainty and a lot of instability. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that and how we as Christians can approach the questions that, that that presents us with and just how to think about political issues, not necessarily how to vote, like I said, but but just how to process through all the information and maintain that sort of Christian worldview. So uh, with that in mind, um, I want to start with the question of just just as a whole, this crisis is really an unprecedented thing in our lifetime and something that, that pretty much none of us have, have ever been through something like this, where life all around the globe has just changed drastically. And so how do you, how do you process such a worldwide change in light of God's plans? Yeah, you know, even the word unprecedented, um, think about how often we've heard that word in the mm-hmm. last two months. And we certainly know the word from before the last two months, but think about how often that that is in our sentences. You know, this is just such an unprecedented time. Now, there is an entire new vocabulary that I did not know. (laughs) I never knew COVID. Um, I was shocked when I found out what COVID stood for and that the 19 was... 2019, and I never had heard terms like social distancing, and now that's just all commonplace. Well, to and us. even even the word quarantine always had a different meaning, you know. Well, and Josh Fernberg, our children's pastor, made the comment about uh, a, one of his children's friends running into the house and saying, "The quarantine's over," and the kid is six years old. <laughs> and I'm thinking, since when did six year old kids know the word <laughs> quarantine? Right? For real. You know, as we look at this time, uh, the, the I guess the first the easiest answer to your question is how might this fit into God's plans? Then we've got to begin with the fact that it, it has to fit into God's plans because God's in charge. Yeah. That's a great point. And so as we begin this, it, it seems like, and as I think through my home uh, with, with Ellen and my, my two children, my son who's home from college and uh, my daughter who's, you know, in high school is we've had to intentionally grab the reins of our brain mm-hmm. is we went through this when this started and I can be a person that's just tied to the news. I want to read about it. I want to feel it. I want to embrace it. And I can do that for a season. So I'm following it on social media. I'm following it on news channels. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, 
two months ago when I looked at Ellen on the evening news and I said, the first 20 minutes of this 30 minute evening newscast is this virus, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it just began to take over um, what was going on. And soon it got to be too much, at least for, for me and for our family. And it became our focus, which is what I'm saying. I think the biggest battle right now seems to be the battle for our mind. And it brings up questions like, who do we trust? And I don't know what numbers I can trust. I don't know what, who's got the accurate numbers. And is this better or worse? And is there an agenda behind it? And there's these daily briefings, and I'm trying to follow the daily briefings. And can I trust it, or is this a game of gotcha? And am I being duped? Is anybody shooting straight with me? Because I want to know, and it really brings to mind all my, my desires to control things, uh, which you may have heard me say before, uh, there are times where God allows me to have the illusion of control, mm-hmm. and then there's times he removes the illusion, and, uh, and I don't even have that. But I, I find myself trying to figure out what's going on, and there's just so much bad news. And part of that's probably because I think we're captivated by bad news. It just draws us in so much. And so one of the things that we've had to do is start turning off the news. And so we've got more music playing in our house than we probably ever have. Uh, but, but that's one of the ways we've done it. You know, you may be familiar with um, John Krasinski's Some Good News oh, yeah. Network. Yeah. Um, if you know uh, Krasinski, he's was Jim from The Office, and he is Jack Ryan on mm-hmm. uh, the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. Uh, but you know he's created this Some Good News Network, and it has become a staple in our family that every week when the new one comes out, we gather around the television and we yeah, watch it. That's great. And we get to watch these great stories about people who are uh, giving of themselves and their time and they're donating and uh, all these things. And it as opposed to the news that that scares you, it's been the news that's brought a smile to our face. Um, and so I guess long answer to this, um, to get back to your your question about how does it fit into God's plans, I want to think of a few things. Number one, I, I want to go to John 14, uh, where Christ says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, mm. not as the world gives it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Um, is I find that the more I tune into Christ in the scriptures, the more I feel that peace. And the more that I tune into the news or social media or any of those other things, I find a diminishing of that peace. And so for me, I've got to wrestle with when is it time to engage the news to be informed versus when is it time to turn it off because I'm, I've gone from being informed to being obsessed. Yeah. And in that line, I've got to walk that line. But in all things, there are several truths that come to mind. One is we need to expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And so in a world with a virus that seemingly is life and death, and the numbers are staggering. I just heard that the number is now greater than the number of casualties from the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. That is a staggering number. Yeah. How does it fit into God's plan? Well, I think for everybody that's facing their mortality right now, that is having to ask, is there more to life than this? And that was part of Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. that God put eternity in our hearts, is I think that it's an opportunity that people are facing their mortality, and that's part of God's plan. 
And so the fear is driving them, and it should. But for those of us who know the Lord, we need to back up and put several things in place. Uh, First off, let's reorient ourselves to God's still on his throne. Mm -hmm. None of this caught him off guard. You know, 12 weeks ago, I didn't know about (laughs) COVID-19. Yeah. And here we are, and it's dominating our lives. I mean, we were looking today, by the time we gather again on May 10th, if we're able to still do that, we will have missed a total of eight services out of our church, one of those being Good Friday, but seven Sundays where our church family hasn't gathered, one of which was Easter. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously. And Good Friday, yeah. Who would have ever thought Mm -hmm. the church would not gather together on Easter? You know what? God's still on his throne. Number two, his attributes are all still in place. He hasn't lost any of his attributes. He's still omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's still omnipresent. He's with us. Even in our aloneness and in our isolation, he's with us. And he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do, which brings me to the he's in control. And so as I think through that, if you've got you know something you write want to write with, uh, give you a second to grab uh, a pen and paper because there are several passages that, as I was uh, thinking through our conversation today, that I went and wrote down that I wanted to offer our people that if if you're feeling yourself overwhelmed in those moments where peace isn't prevailing. Uh, because we've gone from being informed to being more obsessed, then I thought I wanted to offer you some some passages that you could write down. What first off, First Chronicles twenty nine, uh, verses eleven and twelve. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head above all. So. I start thinking through stuff like that, and all of a sudden you can start feeling that peace begin to set in. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Even this, yeah, even this, across our nation, across all nations, it's, he rules. Psalm 115:3, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. For our good God, who speaks promise after promise after promise, he is in control, and he does all that he pleases. When he says, peace, I leave with you, that's not subject to a pandemic. It's not subject to the economic stuff that we clearly are battling and struggling through. So many in our area uh, that are really feeling the push of what's gone on with the price of oil, you know what? God is in control, and the peace that he offers is still there. Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is no promise that the Lord has made to us as people that pandemics, politics, whoever's in office, what the news does or doesn't cover, whether or not somebody lies to us about the numbers, we'll never know. But what we can trust and anchor to is the fact that no purpose of God can ever be thwarted. And then one more, Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. As God remains undeterred and moving forward on his plan and his mission to draw people to himself. And so to that end, when I think about how we process this, those are the things that come to mind. He offers peace. The world 
would take that peace away from us because they can't offer us that. And so when I start feeling that anxiety coming up, I've got to ask myself and check my, uh, check my barometer, how much truth am I letting in from the scriptures and how much am I allowing other stuff to prevail? Yeah, that's, I think that's so much good information. And then the, re- the reminders in scripture and there's a lot of what we what we talk about when we talk about emotions and including anxiety, how much we can actually control our emotions based on what we put in our minds and where we focus our attention. So the reminders to go to those passages in scripture and and focus on those as opposed to, you know, the things that that will flare up anxiety. You you said you said that you make the distinction a little bit when you're when you're watching the news you make the distinction between uh seeking out information versus obsession how do you draw that line and and where do you where do you feel like you're starting to to cross the threshold from the healthy information seeking into maybe the unhealthy obsession or all this is going to do now is just increase my anxiety right um you know, we're we're talking about something that um, there's not an objective sure. answer to that, and so it begins to come somewhere along the lines of when uh, I recognize that I I I either can't turn off the TV, I can't quit scrolling on my Twitter feed, I just keep going further and further down the feed, or it, it could be that after I turn it off is that my brain is still occupied on it. Mm. Uh, that when, when I walk away, if it still has real estate in my brain, and this isn't obviously the conversation that says we gain information and we find out, okay, so we can now do this in our community. We, they're encouraging face masks. Okay, so that's all information. Uh, I don't need to do that. But, you know, you can see the anxiety on people going out in the stores, Definitely. even to the point where people aren't even making eye contact anymore. Yeah. is you know, it's kind of like everybody just kind of covers their eyes and turns away, and they don't even know how to respond anymore. Well, what if you can catch the disease through eye contact? You yeah, don't know yet. clearly. Uh, they zapped me with their <laughs> eyes. Um, you know, it's funny. Yesterday was my first day to go out and wear a mask. Me too. And it felt foreign. It felt weird. I hated it. Uh, they said that it's supposed to help you not touch your face. I think I touched my face more because I kept wanting to make sure it was on the right way, yada, yada, yada. But it was funny that with that mask, I made, I made it a point to talk to every Walmart employee I passed and uh, to thank them and, hey, how you doing? Thanks for what you're doing. And, and it was funny because part of what I felt like I could do yesterday is I could speak into that anxiety in the silence that's prevailing everywhere we go. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I've noticed in the mask wearing part of this, this is I think has happened a couple times, is being out in public and somebody says something and I turn to, to see who said it and I don't know and they're still saying it and I still don't <laughs> yeah. know because the mask is on. So that's just been one more challenge in this that I thought was kind of funny. But uh, So I think... I think the other thing that stood out in what you said, not only about um, about how it's subjective, it's different from person to person, but you know, I, for me personally, I've had the experience of my wife and her graciousness and and you know playing that role that God um, really 
put her in my life for was she kind of helped me see at one point as, as we were navigating this very issue of kind of asking the question, like, what's your motivation when you're going and, and accessing this information? You know, like, is it really just about being better informed so that you can be safe or is there more to this? And I think if we're honest and I had to do this with my, this, this sort of evaluation of my own heart was, was like, do I, can, can I honestly say that all I'm doing is trying to get good information or am I maybe trying to find something that fits a, a political narrative or a, or a religious narrative or whatever it might be that I already have and I want maybe to confirm something that I already believed or, or, or something along those lines. I think we can all do that. We're all inclined to that. And I'm thankful that I have a wife who, like I said, graciously um, will will speak that into my life and, and help me to see that I, that I might be doing that. And that kind of leads into the next question, which similar to the the last question is, where do, how do we value truth in this and how do we how do we maintain i mean as christians we we say that we value truth that that the gospel is truth and that that we build our lives on what is true um so how, how do we how do we maintain a sense of valuing the truth while doing exactly what you're saying which is maybe there's a time i need to avoid more information true or not you know right yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, when Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set, set you, you free. free, you know, you sit there, and I think about when I was in grad school, and there was a guy that was a, a University of Texas Longhorn uh, that was in this class with me. Um, and he was talking about he did he came to know, came to faith came to know the Lord while he was at uh, down in Austin, and he said one of the things the Lord used was he was uh, laying out in some grass I guess in front of the library and I think that's etched into the stonework of of the library. Have you seen? I don't know. I have not. I've never been there. No. Um, but apparently it's up there. And he said, you know, I'm laying out there and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking. And he said, I'm thinking that's really profound is that truth is what brings freedom and that deception is what brings imprisonment. And he said, you know, that was part of what the Lord used to bring me to, to, to him. And, you know, as I live with that, and that was however many years ago is, is it fair to say that if the truth shall set you free, then any degree that we're living in not truth is a degree to which we are imprisoned. And some folks are completely imprisoned, is that they have very little truth in their life, and and they're controlled by that. For, for those of us who are believers, for those of us who know, know the Lord, what's the value of truth? Well, the value of truth is everything. And the problem that we run into is discerning where the truth is and where it isn't and what the agenda is uh, behind somebody that's telling me something but the one place we don't have to question that is when we go to the scriptures, is we've got 100% pure, undiluted truth there that's offered to us. And so that becomes our, our ruler for measuring everything else. And so whatever we hear, and that, you know, we can, we can hear about the number of casualties, and we can hear about the number of tests that have been done. 
And the moment that begins to prevail, what the anxiety is, is, am I safe? Well, if you listen to the statistics, you could come away and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. We go to the scriptures and says, no, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm safe. I'm with the shepherd. That doesn't mean that I might have, have physical illness, but ultimately I'm the Lord's and I'm safe with him. And now all of a sudden what we do is we start taking that information. And it's not that the information may or may not be true as much as what do I do with that information? And whatever I, when I get that information, when I gather that or glean that information, then I've got to take it back to the scriptures mm-hmm. and use the, the scriptures. I don't make scripture accommodate what I just heard on the news. Right. I take whatever I'm hearing and I make that, I, I take it to the scripture and put it up against that. And all of a sudden, what's the value of truth? Well, truth is what brings freedom. Right. And I'm now freed from fear and anxiety and all of those things uh, in a way that only the Lord can do that. Yeah. What a testament to God's grace that he would reach even those lost souls down on the UT campus down there, huh? <laughs> Man, I'm just kidding. Um, With scripture on the yeah, library. Yeah. Uh, it's a miracle it found its way down there. No. Um, I, you know, you said something that that occurred to me in all this, and, and, and the, the comparison that I kind of made in my mind with um, sort of processing through the information about, you know, the, the, the disease or the virus and everything, I thought maybe it's a little bit like interpreting scripture in the sense that truth is out there, you know, there's, there are facts out there that are true, just like scripture is true, you know, and, um, and so we, we don't always know what the facts are. We don't always know what the, the specific truth that scripture is trying to tell us is right that some of it some of um, or a lot of I guess the interaction we have with scripture is in that trying to find what the truth is but we believe it's there and so I think you know trying to sort through this information is similar in that we can say there's truth but it doesn't mean I it's easy to understand that it's easy to know yeah um, and and likewise, we can err as Christians reading the Bible, and this is where we get into um, really divisiveness amongst you know uh, uh, amongst denominations and things like that. Is when we say the way I interpret it is the truth, as opposed to the Bible is true, you know. And and so I think we can do that too a little bit with this: is um, the information that I have found is the true information right. because it's the information I found or it, it's the information that I think sounds the best. And we, we've got to, I think, just like reading the scriptures, we've got to have the humility to say the information that I'm accessing is true, right? And, and the information when it comes to the virus is either true or it's not true. It, it's not dependent on what I want to believe or what I want it to say, Um so as I'm trying to figure out what it is, I have to have the humility to say my interpretation could be flawed, and and I am biased, and I do have a, a limited perspective, and and all of those things, and and so am I am I going to do my best to to be fair and and unbiased? I'm going to try, but I have to acknowledge that those biases are there, that the limitations in my perspective is there, and I think. I think some of that has to come into play too as we as we navigate the information and the news and all of that. Right. And I think that's an astute observation because so often, I mean, in a lot of ways, you can pull a verse out of context and make mm-hmm. it say 
pretty much whatever you want to support. Right. And so the question isn't, what can I make it say? Mm-hmm. The better question is, what does it say? And what do I, what do I need to do with that? And I think you're right. I, you know, for all that's going on right now uh, with all of these conspiracy theories, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm guessing that's some of what you're talking about, about what's going on, you know, I, I don't I don't know what Bill Gates' involvement is, you know, and I, I don't know what's happening with all these other things going on. Uh, what I know is this, is I can allow my mind to become obsessed in yes. that stuff. Yeah. Let me read more. Let me watch more. Let me follow this, this trail down of YouTube videos. The click hole, yeah. <laughs> the click hole. And I could just keep going. And the reality is uh, I have crossed the line of obsession when I start going down that path. And so for me personally, uh, let's get the information that I need and then let's, let's turn it off and and go to a different environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we, we talked about the whole wearing masks out in public thing. And, and so that kind of brings up the idea that everybody is handling this differently. There, there are some people we go out, you know, there are people that have been wearing masks, for weeks now. Right. And, and so for you and me yesterday going out in public, was maybe the first time that we did it, but for a lot of people, that's not the case for, for some people, they're still not wearing them, you know? And so it's not just in how we're interpreting the information, but what we're doing with it and how we're behaving. That's different for a lot of different people. What is it, what does it look like to you to, to, to recognize that people are handling it different, maybe differently than you are? Um, and to still, uh, treat them graciously, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, when we go back to man being man and woman being created in the image of God, uh, part of that, that image bearer status had that we had dominion. Uh, and that goes back to obviously Genesis one. And so what does it look like for us to affirm uh, as image bearers, that we can take in information and we can make uh, decisions uh, that we feel like the Lord's calling us to. And it's not just in this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's in, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we go see this movie? Can we not go see this movie? Can we have this drink? Can we not have this drink? And and we've got that. Can I discipline my child this way or that way? Can I send my child to private school, public school, homeschool? What's the right way? And in all of those situations, there has to be this element where we're comfortable with the fact that the Lord has the freedom to lead two people in two different ways. And that part of our status as an image bearer means that we've got the freedom to choose that path. And the bigger question isn't how do we arrive at different conclusions? I think the bigger question is, do I have the spiritual maturity to be okay with the fact that God can lead two different people to two different decisions? And that's up to him. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean one of them isn't hearing God correctly. And so the idea that people have been wearing masks, I don't know what their situation is. Maybe they, maybe they have some kind of underlying health condition. Or they live with someone who does. Or they live with somebody. Or maybe they're a caregiver for an aging parent and they've got to go be in that, in that, uh, in that aging parent's uh, place all the time. I have no idea, but I know this is I don't need to sit in judgment on them, and I need to allow them to be led by the Lord uh, because he's capable of doing that. And believe it or not, God's got other pathways to lead people towards truth that are not just me. 
and for me to allow God to do a work freely in the life of another person. So, you know, I, I think there's all kinds of things. You know, for uh, why did I wear a mask yesterday when I hadn't before? Because I heard our government say last weekend that it was really significant and we should. And for me to go out, I thought I now have a, I hadn't had a mask until this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me neither. But somebody, uh, a, a sweet person of our church, uh, messaged me last week that she had a friend making uh, face masks, and she lived in Louisiana, and so she was sending me some LSU face masks. <laughs> and so I proudly wore that thing uh, into uh, Walmart yesterday. Uh, and so I'm there, and, you know, it, I didn't love it. But you know what? I felt like I was caring for my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And there were other people that were in there that were not wearing masks. And okay, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, They didn't need to. I felt called to, and I did. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you you kind of talked about it from that perspective of, what if somebody was already wearing a mask and how do, do I, you know, not hold them in judgment? And and I think the there's a lot of people who would would feel more justified in the reverse of that. People would feel more justified in, um, you know, the people who really need grace are the ones who weren't wearing masks, you know, that, that I was wearing a mask and they weren't, uh, they might have a judgmental or even a visceral reaction to to that. And I think to me, I, you know, either side that you're coming from, either perspective, I think when when talking about treating people graciously, uh, one of the one of the phrases, and this may have even been something I got from you years ago. I don't I don't know, um, but it's the phrase. Uh, you know, um, we, we, you use the. I know you used to use the term "air on the side of grace." Yeah, that was a term that I uh, or a, a phrase that I know I I picked up from you. Um, but but the phrase "assume the best in people" mm-hmm. was something that kind of kind of uh, came to my mind as I thought about this was. I can look at how other people are handling it differently than me, and I can look at, and and I can even think, that's that's not the right way, right? You, you talked about there may be more than one right way. God right. may lead two people in in different directions. Um, I may take the position that no, the way they're doing it is actually wrong, you know. Right. Um, and it, if I think that, I still need to I still need to assume the best in that person, and by that I mean they took the information they had and made the best decision they could and or the one that they believed was right because i mean how many people are going out there doing what they believe is wrong intentionally right right like like how many people are willfully looking at the the information and going that's the right thing to do that's the wrong thing to do i'm going to do the wrong thing just to make other people mad right yeah. and I, and i think we do that in so many different areas of our lives, and especially when we talk about politics, right? Is we, well, these these people just don't understand the what is right and wrong, or they're they're doing what is wrong because they're evil, or you know, even yeah. that. And that's the extreme, but I think that really is something that we tend to do with people: is we we don't assume the best, and if we can do that, if we can assume the best in people and go, that's not what I would have done. And that's okay because I'm going to assume that that person with the information they had is doing the thing that they believe is right. And it's not, and the other part of it is it's not my place to correct that and to say, you know what, 
I know you think you're doing what's right, but here, I'm going to step in and offer you the better information so that now you're educated, you know, because I think there's some superiority in that. But assuming the best in people, I think, goes a long way in treating people graciously. Well, you know, according to Paul, when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, and it's singular, it's not plural. Mm -hmm. And so those nine traits that are listed there, qualities that are listed there, you don't get to pick and choose which ones you have. The combination of the nine is what the fruit of the Spirit is. And at no point in time, if you disagree with another person, do we not have the call to exhibit or manifest the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, you know, patience with another person? They may view things differently than you. They may have different information. You know, when this all started... I, I, tried to wear a mask to Walmart or I guess Market Street. And I thought, I'll do this. I'll play along. And I'll be the good citizen and go. And it was a, not a very good mask. And as I'm walking in, I go to put it on my head and the elastic pops off of it. <laughs> now I can't even put it on my head. And I walked in because I needed to get something. And I, granted, somebody could have looked at me and thought, that guy's so hard-headed. Right. Why didn't he care about other people? Yeah. And I was just... I didn't have a mask. <laughs> you wanted to wear one. You tried, I tried to. Yeah. It just didn't work with my giant head. <laughs> Which is a great example of of what I what I mean when I say we have a limited perspective. We don't see what scenario that person was in right before they walked in and we witnessed whatever it was that we were like, you know what, that, they shouldn't have done that. Well, we don't, maybe they were out in the parking lot trying to put their mask on and the elastic popped, <laughs> you know? And so assuming the best in people allows us to make room for exactly that and yeah. and to to you know what that person may be trying to follow the same rules i am and for some reason they weren't able to this time and that's okay so um but w but when we talk about politics and that does inevitably come into the conversation when we talk about covid and and all and, and all the information that we're going to and uh and the news and everything so when we talk about politics and we don't want to get into a discussion about whose politics are right and, or anything like that. But um, where does where does politics rank in your mind in, in the life of a Christian? How how do we how do we make a category for that in our in our approach to to the world? Yeah. So you know, when we get our theology nailed down, that begins, I think, to answer a lot of questions for us. Um, and so within our our understanding, Grace Church's understanding uh, of end times, we can ask the question, what's the role of government? And for, for I think, where I'd come down and where we would come down is, is that we want a good government, we want a just government, uh, but we've got a pluralistic government. It's a secular government, uh, and we need to remember that. And undoubtedly, our government was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, because we've got that, but uh, we know a number of our founding fathers weren't believers, so we don't need to go that route. So where does it rank? Well, what we need to do is this. We fly under the flag of Christ, first and foremost, and so everything goes beneath that. So the government acts as God's vice regents uh, to implement 
justice, we would hope, and righteousness, and to care for, and so forth. And so we want that. Our trust is in the Lord, though. Our trust isn't in the government. We would love for the government to do those things, but uh, we know that the government doesn't always do those things. And so we live in this, this tension of we're citizens of heaven, uh, and so that begins to pervade the way we think and feel and act, but we're also citizens on earth, and we're called to have this positive influence here on earth, and we walk that tension at all times. What is prevailing today? And, and there are those among us that have this blind nationalism where they're going to embrace uh, the American exceptionalism at such a level uh, that that's going to be the highest flag that they fly. Almost like own. your citizenship in, in America is the most important That's what wins the day, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and and we can go the world citizenship that you know we're one people one kind and so forth and or we can go the route where we're just completely disengaged. Scripture seems to point to the fact that we need to engage. Uh, it tells several things. One is we need to respect the governing authorities. We're called to submit to the governing authorities. We're called to support them. Uh, we're called to participate. We're called to pray for. All those things are true, and we can live with passion. We live with a great passion for Christ. Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. He didn't need to shy away from it, and we don't need to shy away from it either. But, you know, when we come down to the reality, there's a couple of passages that really stand out, is we as believers have got to live out our faith, and that's not a political statement. But if we live out our faith, will it have impact? Probably so. How could it not? So when we come to uh, James one twenty two, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, be doers of the word. Let's get busy doing the thing. Is that politics? No, it's not politics. It's being committed to Christ and having it pervade every area of your life. That's James one twenty two, Matthew five sixteen. Our lives are to be focused on Christ and the gospel. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works and they give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Is it by being in community, by being citizens, we take our faith seriously. That's the highest flag on our flagpole. We live that out. And what's the impact? Is it makes a difference in the lives of everybody around us. Politics, I want to be a good citizen. I'm going to do the things asked of me. I'm going to submit. I'm going to respect. I'm going to honor. Um, but that's not my—I don't put my trust in them. And I want to depend on them, but I know they're going to let me down. They're going to have agendas, but my highest flag is the Lord's anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's what's driving my train. And then that begins to change everything that goes on in my life. Yeah, and, and as you were saying that, you use the flagpole— picture of what's the highest flag on your flagpole. And I, you know, I keep thinking about, and it kind of goes back to what we said earlier was if our anxiety is, is going to be much more prevalent when our priorities are out of order. And when, so maybe when the flagpole is, is misaligned or the, the wrong flag flies highest. And I think that when we when we keep in mind that the most important thing that we as Christians have is a relationship with Jesus, or or you could put it this way, the relationship with the Father because of Jesus, and an, and that's an eternal relationship, and there's security in that. That means our eternity is safe with Him, and nothing can threaten that. And I think when we re- recognize that as the most important thing, we we rest in its security, the fact that. 
nothing that happens in this life can change that. And all of our worst fears, uh, our worst fear probably should have been death. And we just mm-hmm. celebrated Easter where Christ, you know, was victorious over that. So that's no longer uh, a threat for us if our most important thing is that eternal relationship with him. And so nothing can threaten that, which means if we are anxious and, and anxious meaning maybe that, uh, that word obsessed, you know, it's that, that we are obsessed with our fear and that it is preventing us from, from our everyday lives and things like that, then, then we haven't put the most important thing as the most important thing, mm-hmm. that we're no longer recognizing that the most important thing can't be taken away by whatever this thing I'm afraid of is. Yeah. And so if we can keep... So and maybe, and it goes, maybe it goes hand in hand between recognizing that you're, the most important thing you have is that relationship and that the most important flag, you know, your most important citizenship is the heavenly citizenship so that you know po- politics can you can have a ca- a category for it you can have a space for it in your life but it's secondary and you recognize that you know there are things that politically can be taken away from you because a certain policy is in place or laws get implemented or they don't but at the end of the day the most important thing you have can't be taken away by politics right and so that helps Maybe that helps you align those priorities better and keep what's most important most important. And if and if you allow something that can be threatened by bad politics or the wrong president, right? If the if the president you don't want goes into office into office and now your life is in crisis, well, maybe you have your your earthly citizenship a little too high up your priorities and didn't remember that you know what your heavenly citizenship is the most important thing. I think that's incredibly well said. You know, fly fly your American flag. My grandfather was at Pearl Harbor when it got bombed and uh, was Marine Corps, and uh, and he survived and came home, and I love that. Yeah. And um, I love going to D.C. I love seeing all our federal buildings and the Smithsonian. But, man, if I elevate that flag above the flag of Christ, then I've gotten my my uh, priorities misaligned and I've got to fix that. Absolutely. And I think the the flip side of that where we're talking about not erring in elevating our American status in this case above our heavenly status. I think, you know, the same you talked about that global citizenship that uh, the, that our American identity isn't important at all. I think I think we can also say Gosh, our American identity and the American values are what allow us to freely worship and and to be able to um, to to talk about our heavenly citizenship as the most important thing and and have these conversations that we're having so we can celebrate and and hold it high that you know what I am like you're saying I am proud to have that citizenship it's just not the most important one right so I think that there's a balance and and that's where it lies and the freedom that you know that we enjoy and that we we herald right Mm -hmm. that we get that and uh, you know i would i'm thankful for being born absolutely here with the freedoms and the men and women who have uh, fought to preserve and provide that Uh, and so this isn't intended to uh, be dismissive of that at all Mm -hmm. uh, you know i'm incredibly appreciative uh, of that it's just when push comes to shove who's my trust in who am I looking for for my provision and freedom and protection and safety and security and all those things? Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be a day when we will lose some of the freedoms that 
that we enjoy. I mean, um, hey, you know, these last few weeks, it's felt a little bit like that's that. Certainly, what people are, are, you know, that's why we got so many protesters, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, the government's going to do what the government thinks is right for the whole, mm-hmm. not not for the individual, uh, and it because they're a secular government, they have a different way of thinking about things than we would have. And do I think that there's a day coming where we may lose some of our rights as a church? Um, what's that mean for tax deductions right. and all those things? And, and the answer is, I don't really know. But I know this, is in times of persecution, the church throughout history has always stood tall mm-hmm. and has grown more resilient and their faith has grown. And you can trace where church, the church, capital C church, has struggled in times of affluence and widespread acceptance. And so I don't know what God's doing, but I know that he's true, and I know that he's good, and I know that he's in control, and I know that his plans can be thwarted, and I can trust him. And so whatever else happens, I don't know. But none of those things supersede all those previous statements I made. Yeah, definitely. So I, I also think, and this may not, there may not be a lot of conversation in this, but I think it's also worth worth asking the question: What about the people when we talk about government? And let's not let's not put too much faith in the government. And let's not worry too much when the government does something that we don't like, we don't agree with. You know, a lot of times when we say that, we say that as, as somebody who doesn't have a lot of dependence already in the government, and that. Uh, I think one thing that this is this crisis has maybe brought my attention a little bit more um, or, or brought a little bit more into my attention is the fact that there's a lot of people who depend very heavily on the government because they don't have, you know, their the financial means, you know, to, to uh, maybe not worry so much about what's going on or, um, I, you know, I just think about the, gosh, there's people who, when we say don't worry about what the government's doing. Sometimes that's a little easier for some people than it is for others. Yeah. And so um, we may be talking about, you know, you know, the government passed a law that um, mandated such and such health care bill and, and things like that. And we don't like it. We don't agree with it. We don't want to um, we don't want to get on board with it. But but that 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 in some ways has a much different impact than when somebody talks about the government is. Um, cutting whatever welfare program that maybe a person who, you know, I just think about like a teenage kid in the foster care system, you yeah. know, and that that person has very little hope of being on the, of on their own, living their life without worrying about what the government's doing. Right. And so I think it's just it is worth at least when we have these conversations about government and. Um, you know, we don't have to worry about this because we have our hope. I think it's still true that 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 person doesn't doesn't have to ultimately hope in the government, but recognizing that for some of us it's easier to say that sure. and to live that out than for others. You know, and um, as you think through this, all of God's promises um, are true, mm-hmm. and so when we think about His promise of provision. Um, we might assume that we have figured out the way he's going to provide. And God doesn't promise a, a methodology for provision. 
He certainly doesn't promise that there'll be an abundance. Mm-hmm. I mean, when uh, Israel's in the wilderness and he feeds them for 40 years, um, and they tried to store some up and it went bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, so even then trying to do it. And provision isn't always early. You know, it, it may not be in the timing that we would choose. The reality is God says that he'll provide. You know, I love in Matthew 6, in the words, it just grabs me every time. When Jesus is talking, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Mm-hmm. is that if he's going to care for the lilies of the field and he's going to care for the birds of the sky, that he's going to care for us. And I can feel the anxiety begin to well up when I start looking at the bank account. Mm-hmm. I can watch the market. I can watch the news. I can hear all those things. And once again, Anxiety presses in when I go from information to obsession and I leave the truth and the peace that only comes from the Lord because the promise is provision. And I may think it's best for him to provide this way, but he doesn't guarantee it. In this timing, he doesn't guarantee it. With this amount, he doesn't always guarantee it. But I can tell you, I can look back on my life and he has never once failed me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I'm putting everything on that. Mm-hmm. And so for our folks that are saying, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen if this program doesn't come through, I would say, I don't either. Mm-hmm. But what I know is this, the Lord's promises are not voided because a government program doesn't happen. How is it going to happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Lord can do all that we can ho- more than we can hope or imagine. I don't have any idea. But I know this. I know his body Yep. steps up and speaks and engages. Now we're back to uh, letting our, our our deed show so that people give glory to God, is that we would step up and do that, that we would live out our faith. And when we do that, we're going to come together. You know, that's what's so appealing, isn't it, about the early church in Acts 2, is it's almost like they took uh, all of their chips and they pushed them to the center of the table, and they had everything in common, and everybody was free to withdraw from that pile mm-hmm. because everybody had invested in that pile. And the problem comes when we have people that are withdrawing but not investing. Right. That creates problems. Uh, and when we have people that only are there to support the pile uh, and, and aren't ever in on the other side where they withdraw from the pile, mm-hmm. is there's got to be this sense that, that we're, we're fully engaged so that we can make the deposits, we can make the withdrawals. And there's something incredibly appealing about Acts chapter 2 That's when really we read about the early church. Yeah. And, uh, and so I don't know how the Lord's going to provide, but I know this. He's going to provide. And, uh, and how? We can't fathom. So I think it goes back to what we, what we talked about earlier, which is what's the most important thing for us, and it's the relationship with, with him. And so uh, to me, I think about, because I've always, I've always kind of thought about that with provision. It's, and it, and it, in times of anxiety, what scares me, what's, what's causing my anxiety how does God promising to provide uh, uh, alleviate my anxiety? Well, if I if I expect His provision to be let's and I'm just going to use this as an example. My if my anxiety is 
I'm not going to have enough money to pay the mortgage next month. Then God's promise to provide doesn't mean that money will be in my bank account come whatever date, you know, next month. I can't, I can't think that because that's my anxiety, then God's provision is going to specifically address that. Right. But if I understand that, you know what? Again, the most important thing is that I have a relationship with him that can't be threatened by anything in this world, that whenever I die, I have eternal life in him. And so everything between now and then is is smaller than that, you know? And so I have to think about that when I think about provision. It's, you said, I don't know how he's going to provide. And I think it's, that's so true because... We, w- we may want him to provide a certain way. We may want the financial provision or we may want the social provision or, um, or even the physical, you know, the, the poorest of the poor. I, I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Right. Provision. We, may, we may want that provision. At the end of the day, that's, God doesn't say, I'm going to provide those things. He says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to take care of you. And when he gives us that provision, are, are we... Are we on the same page where we're going? The most important thing is your is is the relationship I have with you. And I think about David in the desert. You mm-hmm. know, I think about Paul in prison. And I mean, those are two situations I hope I never find myself in. But those those guys, when they when they trusted the Lord's provision, I don't think either of them was saying, "God, I, you know what." I don't know how, but you're gonna you're gonna provide a meal for me, or you're gonna provide a warm, you know, warm clothes, or what? I think they they recognize I might die here, but ultimately you've got me, yeah. and so that's what provision means. I'm safe. Yes. Yeah. You know, Galatians, when Paul writes, "Let's not grow weary of doing good," you know, that that's part of our calling, and so, you know, for those who may not be dependent on whatever government program that is. What does good look like for you? Well, Paul goes on to explain, as we have the opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith, is this is also a time for us to be checking in on our brothers and sisters. You know, and if we're so disconnected from our brothers and sisters that we can't speak to or engage them in their needs during this time or our needs in this time, then we need to do a heart check about our engagement in the body of Christ. Um, Do not grow weary in doing good. You know, that comes with the expectation that we're doing good and we're doing a lot of it. Yeah. And so don't grow weary. You keep doing it and you keep pushing and there's not a limitation on it that that becomes the lifestyle of doing good. Don't grow weary in it because there's coming a day where I'm, I see it, and you're gonna you're gonna reap it. Uh, if we don't give up, just keep going. Yeah, I think that's a great call for the church. Definitely. Well, Lance, do you have any any closing thoughts as we as we wrap this up about where we're at right now, um, the situation that we're in, and any other encouragement that you might offer to the to the listeners? You know, I, I think I would say this, and I've said it already today. Um, maybe the best thing we can do. And I could ask a real convicting question. If we went one-to-one time of time invested in, in seeking news versus time spent in the Scriptures, 
I think we would feel the the rebuke of that, and we don't need to do a rebuke. I'm going to ask it a different way. I would ask it this way. What's the barometer on your heart in regards to anxiety and insecurity? And in that, if Jesus is capable of leaving us peace and it can't be thwarted and he ha- he's omnipotent and so he can do it and nothing can stop him from doing it, then what is the filter that's getting in the way of us experiencing that? And it's got to be because we're not tuning into him and we're not tuned into the scriptures. And so in all of this stuff, for us to continue, guard your hearts because uh, everything in the world is going to tell you to be scared. Everything in the world is going to tell you um, that you can't make it. And what I would tell you is you, you can't make it on your own. And that's part of what this world is intended to prove But we have a Savior, and our Savior longs uh, to meet those needs and to give us peace. He doesn't hold it over us uh, begrudgingly, but he offers it to you. This is what I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you peace, not as the world gives it, because the world can't do it. I'm offering you truth so that you can experience freedom, and let's be set free by those things. That's good. Well, I'm hoping that um, for our listeners that this maybe helps to provide some perspective and certainly encouragement in a season that's uh, been defined by a lot of confusion and a lot of, I think, anxiety as well. So uh, thanks for joining me, Lance, and we're glad that you could be here today, and um, we'll do this again soon. That's great. Thanks, Nolan. Appreciate it.